0: I love to tell you guys about my friends at Simply Earth, and I love hearing from many of our listeners who have fallen in love with Simply Earth, just like the West family has. If you care about keeping the air in your home toxin-free, then you need to check out Simply Earth. Simply Earth's essential oil recipes box makes it easy to master essential oils. At over $150 in value, you get four full-size essential oils and all the ingredients you need to make six natural recipes, all for just $39 when you subscribe. But check this part out. back. These are essential oils that change the world, and here's how. Simply Earth donates 13% of their profits to help end human trafficking. So when you get your essential oils from Simply Earth, you're helping put a stop to human trafficking, and that's a cause that I care deeply about. Now, these are the purest oils on Earth. It's like one of those meal subscription kits, but way more fun and a lot less edible. Do these recipes work? Well, every single recipe is created and tested by AHA-certified aromatherapists. You're not going to get a recipe unless they love it. Now, there are no synthetics, no fillers in these oils. These are tested to be 100% pure. No additives, only the good stuff. The West family loves it. Uh, we love the smell of it, actually, but it does. It helps keep the air in our home and on the band's tour bus toxin-free. Here's what you can do. You get 100% pure and natural Simply Earth ingredients delivered straight to your door. You follow the fun recipes in your Simply Earth Essential Oils recipe box to make products you know will work because they're created and tested by certified aromatherapists. And you get to enjoy a home free of toxins. Go to simplyearth.com west and use the code west to get a free $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today that's simply earth.com west and get a $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you use the code west and subscribe today what's up my friends welcome to another episode of the Matthew West podcast I'm your host Matthew West and as always I really hope you like it thanks for joining me how you doing are you doing well you having a good week bad week busy week crazy week I've had a couple of crazy weeks traveling, uh, but it's been fun. We started off the month of September on the East Coast, played a special event in Washington, D.C., which was amazing. Thanks to my friends at WGTS in Washington, D.C., about 5,000 people showed up at this, this awesome location called Tyson's Corner right outside of this big shopping mall. It was so cool. Then we went to Salisbury, Maryland, had a show thanks to my friends, The Bridge Radio out there. And uh, and then we closed out a special event called Worship on the Mountain in Danville, Virginia with Bethel and Mercy Me. And oh, man, great weekend. Then we headed to Ohio, a couple shows in Ohio, which were so much fun. I spoke at a school in Austin, Texas, then Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I'm just now catching my breath. It's been a crazy start to the month of September, not to mention some songwriting and of course, creating this podcast every week that I am so in love with. And I hope you are having a blast joining me. So uh, thanks for joining me. You know, speaking of travel, guess what? Did you know that I'm going to be on tour with Casting Crowns throughout the month of October? I don't know how many tickets are left in these different cities, so I haven't really made too much of a mention of it. This is a rescheduled tour from back when the pandemic first hit. So if you want to catch me and Casting Crowns on the Only Jesus Tour, go to MatthewWest.com slash tour. And uh, whether it's one of the Casting Crowns tour, I'm also going to have a pretty special tour announcement coming up. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I sure hope I can meet you at, at a concert soon. If I haven't seen you at a show before, uh, what, what are you waiting for? Come on. Uh, I hope to see you soon. All right, let's get into today's show. Now, my guest today is a pretty fascinating guy, and I've loved getting to know him. He's got a brand new book that just came out. I mean, just came out, and it's called Take Back Your Family from the tyrants of burnout, busyness, individualism, and the nuclear ideal. You know, I think this past two years has been a recalibration for a lot of individuals and a lot of families, like kind of reassessing priorities and trying to make some changes. And yet when life's to get back to normal a little bit, you get back to the chaos and you maybe forget what really matters. And so I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. I think he's got some great things to share. Here's one of the things that he says about the book. Today's families are frantically running themselves ragged, doing everything they can to think of To set their children up for the highest levels of success, rarely eating peaceful meals at our home together. And the fruit of all that is not good, says our guest today. Families are stressed out, burned out, and would hardly describe their lives as fulfilling. Well, he's going to give us some practical tools to make sure that we are doing everything we can do to make sure that our family experience is a fulfilling one. We're going to take back our families today. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with Jefferson Bethke. I'm fired up because you have a book that just came out, and I'm a family man. I'm a dad of two daughters, and your book title grabbed me right away. The contents in the book, the topic of the book, I think, is going to speak to a lot of families. It's called Take Back Your Family. So can we start by you telling me your family story? Like, Tell me tell me who's in your family. Tell me what's gotten in. That, let that lead us into why you're passionate about writing a book of this topic.
1: Yeah, so it's me and Alyssa. Uh, It's my wife. We've been married nine years, both from Tacoma, Seattle area and three kids, seven, five, two girl, boy, girl. It's a blast. We absolutely love it. But yeah, the reason that we're so passionate about family and when we got into it is probably, so even before we started having kids, there was kind of a mentor in my life. We're very close with them now, close mentor figure. I would also consider him just a really close friend. We talk all the time, but back then we were just kind of starting to like meet and hang out with them. And I remember you probably had this experience in different ways, whether it's with family or not, but they just did their family so different. And I was just like, why? Like you kind of like, you were just hanging around them. You're like, the kids are like 12 and starting businesses. (laughs) They're like always doing stuff together. They're, you know what I mean? Like the kids seem to like be well-behaved and obedient and actually like love their family. They did this thing like every Friday night that we got invited to. They call it like a big Shabbat dinner, you know, almost like the ancient Jewish tradition of like a big family meal and their storytelling and candles. And so we would just be hanging around them and I would kind of just be like, this is weird, but awesome. Like, this is like, you guys are just different. And I just remember asking him like, why are you guys different? Why are you guys weird? Why do you guys do family like this? And he was just like, I, I remember what he said. It was like 10 years ago. And he was like, Jeff, we're not weird and different. He's like the West American West is weird and different. He's like, this is just actually how family has been across culture across times, certainly the scriptural narrative. Um, he's like, but this, this kind of experiment that the West has done since the industrial revolution of hyper-individualism and the family being nothing more than just a springboard for the individual success of each person and how once they're kind of sent off to college and it's like, delete the family and start over. He's like, that's weird. And that was from that moment on, like that's fast forwarding where it just kind of like, it was just the seed in my kind of like, it's a little bit of the matrix, you know, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. So I was like, whoa, but we didn't have kids yet. And so then kind of that journey took a couple of years of like, it just kind of leaning into it, me asking him more questions, me going back to the scriptures and, and seeing what I think is a different model and vision than most people live. And and yeah, it's a long story short. That's where it came from. And so it's, the book is basically me telling me that, telling that journey, telling that story, and then kind of showing how like doing some things in a different way has brought us a lot of life and joy. And so we want to share that.
0: I remember being uh, a newlywed. And then, you know, even when we're finding out, where you know, kids are on the way or even if kids were on the horizon, we were talking about it, like seeing as even as a young single guy, I would see different friends who were married and had kids and watching how they interacted with their kids and being drawn to certain family you know, activities the way they would... You could tell a difference if a family's going counterculture and their kids just... It's like, okay, I want that. Whatever that is, I want to be that. We're always looking for models in our lives, and you know whether it's how we're going to run our families, how we're going to lead our individual lives. And so I love that you kind of tapped into something special going on with that family. And it was right on the horizon where you were about to begin your own family.
1: Yes, exactly. And And I, and I use this metaphor in the book of like swimming upstream versus swimming downstream or floating downstream, excuse me, versus swimming upstream and how most of us we don't realize it but the western culture and all of its values of individualism, consumption, you know, selfishness, some of these things that are not helpful to forming us into the image of Jesus. Are almost no different in christian culture than individual culture i mean sorry than secular culture except we just christianize them you know what i mean so we just maybe like don't cuss or don't swear but are still just as selfish and consume or consumption oriented as families etc um stuff like that and so they, i use this metaphor of like that we're all floating downstream and it takes no effort to float downstream you sit in your tube and you just you go you drift you go away but it, what it does take effort to do is to get out of your tube and walk upstream. You can't do that mindlessly. You can't do that aimlessly. You have to actually have a path, a plan, do it, put effort towards it. So I, that's an encouragement and kind of an indictment of like, it is tough. That's what you also realize it's like, it's going to be harder to craft a family of intentionality and blessing and to create a family team more than just floating down river, but it's worth it too.
0: Yeah, I think of um, Christine Kane, you know, has a book out called How Did I Get Here? And she was, you know, she talks about drifting and just even like you said about sometimes Christians and believers, the church can be just as guilty of drifting and it takes no effort to drift. And what I feel like your book is, is specifically addressing the family and parents really to say, hey, don't be winding up in a situation where you're asking from your family's perspective, how did we get here? Because I think every parent, they want to do a great job. They want to create a culture in their family where their kids are thriving and their family's close. And a lot of people are just like, we want to, we're trying, but the craziness of life is keeping us from, like you said, grabbing the uh, the inner tube and walking back upstream. And so I, I love the intentionality that you're encouraging in your book. You talk about me culture. Is that, describe what you mean by me culture Because I think that's going to probably hit the nail on the head for a lot of us and what we
1: struggle with in our lives. We have a lot smaller vision for our families than God has for our families. Most of us, if we were to be pressed on our families and we were to ask, what is family for? Most of us, you know, would, you know, say things like to keep everyone kind of safe and secure and like well taken care of and hopefully like happy. Right now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty small vision. You know what I mean? Pretty not very like life giving and large and amazing when God's vision is so much larger. God's vision is like what we like to say is building a multigenerational family team on mission, which it's the garden mandate. Right. Like like the garden mandate is still the same garden mandate for families of like go actually reign and rule go create order out of chaos, go create beauty out of the untamed. And it's going to be so hard, you need to do it together, right? Uh, another way to go back to it is when you go back in Genesis, This is, this is fascinating to think about it from God's perspective, right? So there's a, most people assume, most people unintentionally realize and assume that they think when, they, when we think of Genesis before sin, we think it's all perfect and beautiful and amazing. But it's not. The actual, like, all Hebrew scholars almost would entirely agree that when you read it in its ancient Near East text, it's clear that what's trying to happen in Genesis 1 and 2 is that there's a Garden of Eden that's perfect, right? This is beautiful. This is tamed. There's fruit. There's order. There's animals. But it's clear that that was set up as a prototype, and then the rest of the world is still untamed at that point. So it's almost like God set up a prototype of order, Okay. Garden of Eden is beautiful, ordered, and awesome. And the rest of the world is still chaotic or untamed, okay? It's, and so the job God has in Genesis 1 and 2 is to make the rest of the world, right, just like because it's God's literal essence to create order and beauty out of nothing, is so that the, the mission and the job is to make the rest look like Eden, like, like bring, bring order and beauty out of that. So now God doesn't need help but he wants it and desires it. And so then you think, okay, well, how does God solve that problem? How does God solve the problem of making the rest of the world look like Eden? Now, if we were to ask ourselves, what would our answer be? Our answer would be, you know, in the, in America, we, to solve that problem, we would probably start a nonprofit. We would probably get a board of directors, right? We would probably try to raise a bunch of money if we're in tech or if we live in San Francisco, we might do an app. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what, what is, what is God's idea? God's idea, number one idea to solve, to bring order and beauty out of chaos is to put male and female together and then tell them to have a bunch of babies. That's kind of weird. Like, but that didn't exist before that moment. That's a weird solution. God's idea is actually the family. So God's main conduit to bring his blessing and goodness and order into the world was this family team. And it's multi-generational too, right? Because it's not just male and female. He specifically says, hey, by the way, he whispers, this job is so big, you need to multiply yourself or else you're not going to be able to get it done. You need to actually make little icons and images of yourself or else you won't be able to get the job done. And so I just start there of like, man, that is, to me, that's really compelling and actually pushes back against that me narrative you talked about. When you start hearing that and it gets into your heart and it gets into your bones that, oh my goodness, our family is created for so much more than we think, that one of the best antidotes to consumption and me culture, and doing it in and, and just wanting to get a bunch of stuff or to feel good or even to feel safe and secure, and all those things that a lot of us think family is all about, it's way bigger. It's way better, and it's way more compelling.
0: Isn't that the truth in our lives in general, where we we could dream the biggest dreams for our lives or our families, and it's just scratching the surface of the God who says, I know the plans I have for you. He knows the plans he has for you as an individual, for the impact you're going to have on the world, the plans that your family's going to have. And what I find, I take comfort in this in a in a sick way, is that from the very first family families have been screwing it up. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Oh
2: yeah. So
0: so for any parents out there listening to this conversation from the beginning, you know, as you're going to give some encouragement for people for how to take back your family, how to be intentional, how to dare to believe that God has a bigger dream for your family, someone might be, you know, what do we as Christians tend to to go to first? The shame of the ways that you're not measuring up. And so we could take comfort in the fact that since Adam and Eve, we you know, families have been messing up, and I love the encouragement to take. You described the nuclear family and the negative part of the nuclear family. I have to confess, I had to Google the definition of nuclear family, because whenever I hear the word nuclear, I think of what president was it that couldn't pronounce the word, but he was talking about nuclear. He would talk about nuclear yeah, weapons. Yeah. But so I'm going to say for the listener, not for me, talk about what the nuclear family is and what you see the the downside of the definition being or how we can be better than that.
1: Yeah. Now there's actually a lot of war around this term right now and a lot of, and so uh, contention. And so this, this is actually a fun part that brings up a lot of like controversy for in people. In Christian
0: circles or, or, or? I would
1: say there's a common battle right now in secular culture of trying to take down the nuclear yes, family. Yes, and, yes. seen as, and in that messaging, I agree with that. Like that's wrong. I disagree with that. I don't like that. So, so this one is fun because it kind of, I'm, and I'll explain it in a second. I'm saying nothing of what anyone is saying. So it's kind of like. But it's this word makes bells and whistles go off for ah, some
0: people. Yes, but, you want to know another word that makes bells and whistles go off? What modesty? But uh, that's I, a, that's another conversation <laughs> for another time. I I, <laughs> I did see a
1: couple couple tweets about that. You got, it sounds like you had a fun couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. But I digress. Let's talk about let's talk about your bells and whistles.
1: But that, to your point though, that word or any word, like there is these words that have that have a lot of baggage for people and a lot of meaning for people yeah. or a lot of potency. But yeah, so what I mean when I say that is, well, culturally speaking, sociological speaking, the nuclear family is believing that the family unit is essentially the stereotype of two parents, two kids. Kind of like a, a unit of four, unit of five, right? Um, it's, it's only – it doesn't span multi-generations. It's just like it's, – it's small kind of nuclear. You get the idea with the nuclear of an atom and stuff like that. So nuclear family. But now a lot of Christians, we don't realize that the model that we're trying to fight for in our family – is actually just trying to go back to 1950, not trying to go back to the scriptures, right? And what do I mean by that? David Brooks, famous New York Times journalist, conservative Orthodox Christian journalist, has a really good article in The Atlantic uh, last year called The End of the Nuclear Family. And he highlights he the same thing I'm trying to highlight in the book that a lot of people don't actually realize, but the nuclear family – is not God's design, right? God's design is actually what David Brooks calls a corporate family, meaning it's it's much larger and wider and bigger or what we call in our kind of uh, ministry family teams, a multi-generational family team on mission. And what we mean by that is like, you know, nuclear families don't have all the power to survive, meaning like that's why you also have a lot of people who, you know, it just doesn't work, right? You, like, and I think we're seeing that now in our culture where, you know, the classic like dad goes to work, mom stays home, two kids thing, at least in our economic world right now, that's nearly impossible, right? And I think it should be because I don't think it's actually the way it's meant to be. We're created for much more extended generational families. So you get outside of the West and you go to Israel today, you go to the more other parts of the Middle East, you go to 300 years ago before the industrial revolution and almost every household averaged about 14 to 16 people, not just parents and kids, but you have multiple employees that are living in that house, you have probably two or three grandparents living in that house, you have aunts and uncles who are usually surrounding that house or next door to that house and that's every household, that's not an anomaly, that's literally every household and that is still today in the Middle East, how most households are organized. And so the fact that the way we've reduced family to this, this unit has made it actually really fragile. And that's what David Brooks argues as well. Meaning it only takes one little thing, a divorce or some bad decision or a death in the family or someone getting fired. And that family is crushed. I see what you're saying
0: without that support system, without the extended family.
1: And so it's, again, it's back to that idea of man, God's design is always better than ours. And so, One of my favorite parts is in, what is it, Genesis 18, when it says Abraham when he goes after Lot or whatever, you know, and then like all that stuff, or maybe it's 17, but it says Abraham gathered 315 men from his household and then went on pursuit. It's like, who has 315 men in their household? Another way to put it too is 200 years ago in the industrial revolution, and I'm getting real meaty here, but this is really what the book talks about for the first couple of chapters because you got to understand it. What happened with the industrial revolution was cataclysmic to the family because what it did is it, it when it took the father out of the home and put him in the factory, it changed the main formative place of identity and economic activity from the home to the factory. Huh. Okay? Interesting. So before the industrial revolution, the home was actually the hub of activity. It was where you got your identity, it was where you had your job, it was where you got all of your life. It was it was everything. It was like a, it was like it was buzzing with power and beauty. And goodness, but the industrial revolution comes along, and now of a sudden we extract the, father, the work from yeah. the home, take it over here, and now the home becomes nothing more than just a place to consume, a place to feel good, a place to veg out, and a place to be entertained. And now that's a very that that, that doesn't fulfill us, it doesn't give us meaning, purpose, etc. But we keep playing that same lie. If only I entertain more, if only I give them a better house. If only I just let our kids consume more, then maybe they'll be happy. No, the actual thing is to put the identity back in the center of the home and go on mission together as God's disciples. Mm. That's really what happened and and really was dramatic when that happened.
0: It's interesting to think about. It's funny because my parents live with me. So as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm thinking of all the ways that, that having my parents close in proximity physically and just relationally the impact that I've seen that make in my kids lives is just unbelievable and not that everybody can have that or you know and obviously it's got its upsides and its downsides but I'm I'm thinking about okay this is interesting like the nuclear family extending and how I just never really thought about it that way and I think about too is there's also in every family there's conflict and conflict it, you know, separates and divides and my family has it. I'm, I'm willing to bet almost every family has, you know, people that they don't communicate with. You know, what do you say the, to the parent who feels isolated? How does one go about like reversing this course? Cause it does feel like a, you know, you talk about the industrial revolution to now it just feels like this freight train of like,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it, the ship has sailed at some point, right. but, it's always really good to understand what happened, understand the problem, and how can we think a better solution today. Yeah. yes, I agree. There's a lot of places to start, specifically, I guess, on the train of thought that we're on right now. One thing I would say that we've because so family teams is like a ministry we run with our mentors and we got thousands of families in there and going through the resources, et cetera. So it's fun because it, it creates a little bit of a think tank where we get to see like people that try stuff and what works and a, a pattern that tends to work really well. I'll even stick on like kind of that conflict idea repairing relations. First of all, you want to start by repairing relationships with the generations, okay? I think one of the things that's been overly taught and kind of overly taught disproportionately is that that leave and cleave idea. Like I think we 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 read that as like just disappear Buy, never sit, you know what I mean? What,
0: like a man shall leave his mother kind of thing? Are you
1: Are talking about from scripture? Yeah, just completely disconnect from your parents. Basically. <laughs> leave I and cleave, like I recovery. like that.
0: I should write a song called Leave and Cleave. That's yeah, good.
1: exactly, right? Now, of course, there is, and there's some, some people specifically that do need to do that because of either toxicity, either the parents haven't released their kid into another, a new season. So it's like yeah, the boundaries are good out. too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but... I think linking yourself to the generations is God's idea and God's wisdom. And so one idea that we always tell people is, you know, because it's hard too, because, you know, there's a lot of trauma with kids and parents. You mean like adult kids and parents? There's a lot of difficulty with that and there's a lot of conflict with that. So I would say maybe about 5% of people actually have an enormously brutal, toxic relationship and they need to cut off, like they need to get away from that. I would say the other 95%, God actually wants to use the difficulty of that relationship. That's not toxic, but difficult to actually heal us and heal them. But we run from it, right? We we run. from.
0: So, and I have a feeling what you're going to say is what it's going to take is getting the inner tube again and not, not drifting down river, and I'm saying this because you're not even finishing your sentence and already convicting me, because I can think of family relationships that I will allow just to drift down river, not connect, sweep it totally. under the rug when we got to get the inner tube, maybe do the hard work to, to see what kind of repairs and healing. Do we believe that God's plan for our family is to stay fractured, or are there some relationships that can be healed if we're willing to step in and do the hard work, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And I think that's what i'm that's what I'm saying, too, is that we have to realize that if that God wants to bring order and beauty through family, and it's always been like that. first, it was gen- the Genesis mandate, that family, sin came into the world. So God wants to repair the brokenness and sin in the world by then creating a new family. You got Noah, then another one, Abraham, then another bigger one called Israel, and then another one, in the New Testament called the family of God. So it's like it's always God's way. God's way is always through a group team family always. And you can see that all the way through scripture. So lean into that. And one easy way we say with grandparents is because there is, can be conflict there, et cetera. One thing that can really alleviate a lot of that is put them in a seat of honor, like once a week at like a dinner or something like that, and just ask them stories. It's crazy how that can That's take away cool. all the like conflict stuff. Right. And so we do that where we put them on a seat of like, you know, our grandparents are always over and we have these questions or parents that we ask them of like, like, and, and it's fun too, because it kind of takes us out of it. And it always connects Ooh. the grandparents to the kids in a really beautiful yeah, way. Yeah. Almost like Elders of the tribe. And they become the story gatekeepers, the wisdom gate, gatekeepers. And so we always, like every Friday night, we're asking them questions like, I have actually have a book is like a cheat code that's like a, it's called like a grandparents journal. And it is all these fun questions for grandparents. Like, this is this a book you wrote? No, no. It's just a fun book on like Amazon. You oh, know what I mean? Cool. And it that's... has all these questions that you can ask grandparents. And so it's just like a cheat code. Basically, once a week, we just do that. And it's crazy how it repairs the relationship, right? So it'll be things like, what's one memory you have from getting your first bike? What was a a breakup you remember from high school? What was your first job? Like just all these stories to just put them on the seat of honor, which they love, by the way. Yeah. And then it extracts all this awesome stuff.
0: What strikes me is the heart of that being, you know, that everybody's got their own vantage point. Everybody's got their own story. And when you start to understand where your grandparent comes from or where your dad comes from, it almost, you know, you can't help but have greater compassion when you understand what somebody's been through, what their experience has been. And so I could see how that repairs the relationship. Uh, It
1: it, it softens and it's beautiful. and, and And it gets back to kind of that old vision of like, yeah, in the West, we don't honor and cherish old people. We don't, we, we, you know, we, wow. we don't like, here's, here's another way to put it in the West. What's the ideal human? Meaning like, what does our culture hold up as kind of the icon of success? It's usually a 24 year old male who's strong and has started a tech company. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. You know. Yeah. But when we ask that question to the scriptures, the scriptures makes it very clear that it's someone with gray hair. It, that's literally what it says in Proverbs. So it's like, we have a very different vision of what we think is like a peak human. You know what I mean? And so to lean into the scriptural vision of where is the wisdom at? Where's success at? It's a scripture. It's someone who's lived a long life and has a lot of stories to tell.
0: Hey, I want to ask you a question. What's interfering with your happiness right now? Uh, Here's another question. Is there something that is preventing you from achieving some of the goals that you have? Do you just feel stuck? Well, you've heard me and several of my guests throughout the past year talk about how valuable counseling has been in our lives and in our stories. Too often we just sweep the issues in our lives under the rug and we never deal with them. And if we don't deal with them, we never heal and we can't take steps forward the way that God calls us to. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. You get to connect in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. You send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get Timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you could schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Now, this is not self help, this is professional counseling, and this is all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Now, this service is available for clients worldwide, and they've got a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas where you live. Licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, anger, grief self-esteem, the list goes on. We've all got some stuff that we're dealing with in our lives and BetterHelp wants you to know that you're not alone. Anything you share with your therapist is confidential. This is convenient, professional, and affordable. You can check out testimonials that are posted daily on their site. Now, this is not a crisis line, but check this out. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you're going to get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com/mwp. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash M-W-P. every person grows up and says, okay, there's things from my childhood that I want to carry on the legacy that I've been handed down. But then there's some things I, I don't want history to repeat itself. We all have that opportunity to take the good and hopefully repair some of what was, was broken or dysfunction. I'm just curious, someone like you Jefferson, who's got such a passion, you're a young dad with three awesome kids. And now, I mean, to have this vision to build family teams and all these resources in this book, take back your family to help other family. I'm curious, like, okay, where did you come from? I know you grew up in Tacoma, but did you come from a a family that was whole that had multi-gen? Did you see this play out or is it something you didn't see and you knew you needed to create?
1: Exactly. Yeah. More in that ladder. So I was, I was raised by a single mom. Dad was around, but not super around kind of the classic custody thing. We were, I say in the book, we were right on that line of, you know, poverty that was like one decision from homelessness for like 10 years. Um, food stamps, government housing, you name it. Now I love my mom. We have a really close relationship. Um, and, and and there was a level at which actually me and her, I felt like we were playing out that team thing. Because it, it doesn't matter, like again, back to it's not the nuclear ideal. The issue is are you a team? And there was a there was a level at which the grittiness that me and my mom had to put into practice actually really bonded us together as a strong team. So I think I actually love thinking about that and how it's can be true in so many different scenarios. The issue is are we a unit pushing towards a bigger mission. But yeah, but there was a level also at which I saw the brokenness of that, the difficulty of that, parts and wounds in my heart's fatherhood, et cetera, that I was like, man, this, is, this isn't God's design, right? There, There's something better and bigger. Um, and even more specifically on the fatherhood aspect, me being like, no, no, man, a father is important. The lack of fathers today is a crisis at some level.
0: Jefferson, did you grow up, Like in church, did you have a Christian background or?
1: Yeah, so my mom came to know the Lord right before or like when I was born or right around then. And so, yeah, so I grew up. And that was actually a huge part of this too that I talk about too is the church was, uh, you know, I grew up in like Awanas and all that stuff, you know what I mean? And going to church. And so that that was an amazing blessing to look back on the family of God and how that just holds you in those seasons. And I think that's another testament to family is more about this commitment of a unit coming around. and, And I definitely saw that in church.
0: To hear the fact that like, how you grew up and what you grew up, your own personal experience, the fact that it wasn't the yeah, shiny the, perfect, the picture yeah, yeah. perfect example of what you're striving for like there's something that kind of hits me on a deeper level now that, as I turn the pages and as the listeners pick up your book, the fact that they can read from a guy who's come from a broken home whose team looked different than what he's encouraged i don't know it just hits on a deeper level, so you like became famous through this. YouTube, you started speaking out about the difference between religion and just and, and a relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that I talk about on every show, I ask every guest whether it's off-topic on their book or not. Is just because I love hearing it. Is I ask every guest what's your blue couch story? And what I mean by that is, I was thirteen-year-old kid, preacher's kid, who didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. But one day, I I sat on a blue couch in my childhood home and I stumbled across a Billy Graham crusade. And it was one of the first moments in my life where I really felt like my faith was becoming real to me. And sometimes there's moments where I feel like I'm drifting and I'm far. I feel a distance between me and God. And I feel like God brings me back to that moment where, where it's like the hour I first believed. And I'm curious, like you talk about like pushing away from religion and pushing towards Jesus. Can you share with the listeners a moment where your faith first became real to you? You know, essentially what your Blue Couch story would be.
1: Yeah. So for me, it's fun looking back on it, but it, um, yeah, cause I would say I wasn't walking with the Lord all the way through my childhood, teenage years, high school, et cetera. But then in college, I went to college, college to play baseball. I was dating this girl and just like life was going kind of fine. It was that next step that I thought would be, you know, everything was going well. But then all in a, in about like a week, girlfriend broke up with me. I got kicked off the baseball team and I got put on academic probation and starting to just make bad, super bad decisions. And so that like basically just life came crashing down. Now I'm the person where that needs to happen for me to get my attention.
0: Me too. My hands up in the air, dude. All right. We can be friends now.
1: I can be a little hard headed. So I have to like, you know, whoa. And it was in that moment I just realized like, oh man, me as the, in the driver's seat of my life actually doesn't go well. Me as like the, the sole kind of runner of this thing. And it was through that, you know, uh, God actually brought me to a college university to play baseball, even though I wasn't really going for that reason. So it was kind of through his providence that, yeah, just some friends and some questions in that. I remember like it was a two month season where I was just like getting rocked, asking questions. I would go to the library and check out books. I remember, and it was, yeah, reading Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer that was in that season, just like rocked me. And definitely was that, that moment of like, whoa! I just saw things differently and God's grace and his love and everything.
0: I can relate to that on such a big way. I always feel like I got to learn the way Saul did. You know, he, he got knocked off a donkey by a blinding light. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, can I develop the ability to learn my lessons in a softer way? But I think you and I can both agree that whatever it takes, whether we got, you know, remember there was an old DC talk song, some people got to learn the hard way. And I remember that line, and I always felt like it described me. You know, I guess I'm the one who's got to find out for myself the hard way. So, speaking of taking back your family, you and your wife, you've got three kids what's interesting to me is I would imagine someone like you, you become a New York Times bestselling author. You're doing great things. you got a podcast. People love everything you're doing. I'm sure that you're starting to get pulled in all these different directions as well. So you talk about being a family team, not just a family. You talk about being on mission. I want to know what that looks like for the Bethke household.
1: Totally. And I think sometimes, and this is what I encourage people with, because sometimes people can hear that and get really overwhelmed. We have to change our whole life and we have to do that. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. But sometimes it's just a language shift. And what I mean by that is like for us, one of the biggest things that we saw immediately was, um, yeah, you know, me and Alyssa are both writing books and we're traveling and speaking and kind of that whole, that whole, you know, like uh, communicating, like we just believe in communicating in different avenues. And, you know, and then I would travel and then a lot and then the kids would, you know, be crying when I left and Alyssa would feel like burnt out by when I left and it just didn't go well. But it was it was just something as small as a language shift of like me approaching the family after I started thinking about this and being like, hey, guys, first of all, I'm not going to always say yes to things if you don't want me to. So now, like, first of all, let them in on the decisions because we are a team. So, like, I, you know, number two. I am not like, this is not my work and you guys are just staying at home. I am actually an ambassador of team Bethke, just like an ambassador gets sent to France from the U S right. Yeah. And when I go, I represent our team.
0: Boy, that's a and game my changer.
1: Team, you know what I mean? And our team and so then we're only going to say yes to things that we think are good for our team or that our team wants to say yes to, or that wants to send dad out to. And it was something as small as that where first of all, like let them in on the decisions. Second, I'm an ambassador of this team. And so I would even say encourage people going to work, you know, in a normal office job, like, you know, do your kids send you out to work? Do they pray for you? Do they, you know, like little small things can actually be enormous in just building that camaraderie of like, Oh, this is actually just how we've decided to split up our resources and our assets of our talents, but it's all one mission, all one team.
0: Man, that's good stuff. I, I feel like, uh, that's been something that my family, You know, I would always have to go on tour, and I always felt so guilty, Jefferson, like to the point where I felt like I couldn't be content wherever I was. I wonder if you can relate where I'm on stage, I'm singing about Jesus, I'm seeing God do really amazing things, but I'm away from my kids. And one of our game changing, you know, I feel like a moment where the West family became a team was somebody allowed for the opportunity for my family to travel together. And we had a tour bus as a family. And all of a sudden it felt like Team West West. getting to like go on mission together. And even now as my kids are in school, I'm out on tour. I still feel like there's a team West. I think it's so important, like you just said, as, as a dad, as a mom, to let your family in on the decisions, the power of the answer, no, probably. Because I think if you and I are wired anywhere similarly, and, you know, dreaming big, big aspirations, so when big opportunities come, it feels crazy to say no to stuff. But the power of a no is is an important thing. How do you guys handle, just down to get down to, like, tangible weeds for a second, There was a moment where like I looked at my family just the other night and we're all sitting in the living room and every single one of us on our devices, not talking to each other, but in the same room. And I am willing to bet that there are families everywhere, even listening to this show right now where they're if they took a picture of their quality family time, it would be a picture like the West family where we were literally all on our devices. How does the Bethke family handle technology and media and all the things.
1: I think it just comes down to setting some goals, setting some boundaries, but it is tough. Tech wise family is a really good book. I recommend to a lot of people, but I think, yeah, we have like our family tech manifesto and it's kind of like, Hey, we all are agreeing to these rules. Even dad who has to be on it the most. So I'm going to like show it the most, you know what I mean? Like I have yeah. to prove it the most so It kind of trickles down. And that's really helpful because it feels team spirited of like, hey, we all have to do this. And it's something that, you know, as simple as like certain rules of like phones can't be in bedrooms. You know, um, they have to get plugged in and plugged, you know, kind of put away in a different place for morning and night. Um, And our kids are still pretty young, so they don't have like that huge screen time thing yet. But it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. And then even like something like movies, we just say, okay, well, if we're going to enjoy technology, let's enjoy it together. So instead of being like, hey, everyone, go take an iPad and go watch a show. It's like, hey, we have family movie night now. Yeah, I mean, and like we all are watching, the phones are put away, there's popcorn made. So it's like, it's kind of like using those things for the benefit of the family rather than letting them tear them apart. Isn't
0: that crazy too? You talk about like the individualistic nature of our society, even like your Netflix account has yes, each family member. That. I mean, yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like, and they all have their preferences and it all points us towards our bedrooms to watch what we want to watch. We don't have to join together as a family. And and yet what you're saying is we have to, we have to fight against that and take back our families. Man, this is really good stuff. One of the things I I wanted to say to you is what strikes me about the importance of your book for families who are listening right now or a parent or somebody who is going to be a parent someday, like you witnessing that family several years, was it 10 years ago? You witnessed a family. You said, this family's different. I want to model my future family. like Somebody might be listening right now and what you're providing for them in this interview and in your new book is they're going to get a glimpse of that family that you saw, right? there. So this can be that experience for them. We've been talking all through the summer about how to live a no what if life. I've got a song out right now, and it says, you know, what if today's the only day I got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. In the end, I want to know I got no regrets and no what-ifs. What would your encouragement be? What I was going to say is that I feel like your book is a challenge to moms and dads to say, live with that intentionality when it comes to your parenting. Like it is so essential. What would you just share to somebody right now as an encouragement to say how to live with no what ifs when it comes to what happens in your home?
1: Well, one thing I always tell people, and this hopefully tends to encourage people is, because a lot of people can hear some of this stuff and get just like, oh, more family stuff, like more, I got to work harder, try harder, be more intentional. But what I always say is like, It's actually fairly easy on some level, in the sense of like, because instead of having to start from scratch or reinvent the wheel, you are already intentional. You are already passionate. You are already all in. It's just not your family. It's either work. It's either a hobby. It's either something else. So you have the skills. Like they're actually like you could do it with your eyes closed. You have the skills. Like you are all in on something. You are, you know, another thing I talk about with dads is like, you know, is to is to be a father coach, right? And I'm always like, you are. You, I guarantee you, you're an amazing coach. You just do it with your employees. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's so misguided. Turn, turn the gifting towards the family. And that's all it is. And let your talents turn towards your family and don't be something you're not. Right. So like, I know a youth pastor, dad, who like kind of caught this vision as well. And he was, you know, amazing youth pastor, iconic, you know, building experiences and games and all stuff. So he's like, oh, I already do this. I'm going to turn it here. So he would do like games and experiences and camps with his kids. When it's like, I'll never do that. That's not super my vibe, right? But like, I'll take my giftings if I'm kind of like this or entrepreneurial or detailed. So I'll turn that. So like turn your gifting that you already have and point it towards your family and, and it'll go well.
0: It goes back to what you were saying early in our conversation about the work being done outside the home. And I think as dads or moms, anybody listening to this and you can relate and I can relate is where all of a sudden you come home and you shut down. Yes. And exactly. your family gets what's left of you, not the best of you. Yeah. They get the rest. Right. And so I think that is a powerful takeaway for somebody listening right now. What you just shared about, hey, we're all in on something. We're Our time and our spending, those will be great indicators of what matters to us most. And it's OK to let that be a sobering thing. If we do some inventory and realize, hey, you know what? I'm not all in on my family right now. Okay, there's going to be some conviction there, and let that be a good conviction that turns to motivation to turn our gifts towards our home, turn our focus towards our home. I love that. And it could, like you said, for that youth pastor, it looked different than what it looks like for Jefferson, and it looks different for me than it does. Because if all our kids see Jefferson is, well, Dad gives everybody... Dad just gave Matthew West his best personality today on an interview, and if they see that, well, Dad lights up the stage when he's funny and shaking hands with people, and then he comes home and he's pissed off and he's in a bad mood. Man, that's not the legacy we want to leave. Yep, totally. This is some really good stuff. And I can't encourage our listeners enough to check out the brand new book, Take Back Your Family. Now that's not your only book, and you also have a podcast. And so we're going to post a link to all the things that you and your family are up to. You know, I don't know if they told if your publicist told you this, but it's been proven that if you're on this podcast, that your book will shoot straight to the top. I'm being sarcastic. I'm not sure if it'll shoot straight to the top of anything.
1: Let's do it. I like it.
0: (laughs) But I just want to say thank you for taking the time for sharing. Sharing your story and for putting your story on the page—that's going to help other families uh, dream bigger and dare to believe that God has a bigger dream for each one of our families. So you're speaking to me in a really good way today, and I and I really appreciate it,
1: man. Amen. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: And also, then uh, w- tell me a good date where I can come and just crash in your house in Maui for three, maybe three months,
1: four months. Exactly. Well, we do have a guest house, so yeah, you're welcome anytime. All
0: right. You you said we were friends, so I figure we could show up cousin Eddie style exactly. and. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Jefferson I appreciate it man I hope we get to um, hang in Nashville one of these days if you ever come to town and uh, we'll be cheering you on and uh, congratulations on the new book
1: awesome hey thank you so much man
0: All right. Now it's time for songs from the story house. Today's song from the story house is a song called the beautiful things we miss. And, uh, this song was ringing in my ears throughout my entire conversation with Jefferson Bethke about family and remembering what really matters. Now, I, I wrote the lyric in third person, but this is very much a first person narrative in my heart. These words, let's just say they hit close to home as a husband and as a dad, and uh, too often losing sight of what really matters. So as you listen to the first verse of this song, you can hear the storyline of a, of a husband and a wife, and a wife needing to know that she's not invisible, and a husband sometimes maybe forgetting what really matters. So check out this first verse in chorus.
3: She puts on her makeup And the last dress she remembers That turned his head the time he said, you look beautiful At six, the front door opens And he doesn't even notice Kisses are cheap, baby, when do we eat? I'm starving Oh, oh, oh. the beautiful things we miss I don't want to miss it
0: The original idea for this song actually came not from thinking about my family, but I was on a hike in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, I was in Snowmass, Colorado, and I was on a trail by myself that was especially steep. And I had tripped. And so for the rest of the hike, or this was early on in the hike that I had kind of stumbled. And so for the rest of the hike, I was worried about my footing not being secure and so I, I kept my eyes fixed on the ground in front of me just to make sure that my next step was a safe one and at one point I was I was super out of breath and I'd reached this little clearing in the trail and I, I had to stop just to catch my breath But what I wound up catching was this power of perspective. I looked up and around me as I was catching my breath, no longer worried about the footing in front of me and I saw the most gorgeous, scenery around me. I mean, it was just breathtaking. And I literally thought to myself, the beautiful things I've been missing while my head was down, looking at the steps in front of me, the beautiful things we miss. Now I had no cell service out there, but I did have my phone with me and I wrote down the beautiful things we miss only to return to it later and have it turn into a song about family, about husbands and wives dads and daughters in my case and uh, this second verse dives into the storyline of of a parent and uh, just the distance that can grow if we're not intentional so uh, check this out
3: She hides out in her headphones Texting on her cell phone, daddy's girl Built a world Behind her bedroom door, while he was working hard and providing bigger houses still get divided just yesterday she was on his shoulders but today she's older why do we get older Oh, oh, oh the beautiful things we miss
0: now I'm sure you can see why this song was ringing in my ears while I was speaking with Jefferson Bethke about the importance of taking back our family. I hope this song moves you and uh, maybe your parent out there. Just a reminder, uh, man, life goes so fast and I really wanted to sum that up at the heart of this song, just that reminder that we, we can't go back. We don't get to rewind. Take a listen to this bridge and, and then the chorus one last time. And I hope it challenges you. You know, even if you don't, maybe this song hits home, but not in a way uh, related to your family. Maybe it's just, you know, kind of what we've been talking about. No what ifs, right? Uh, there's some beautiful things going on in our lives. And maybe if we've lost perspective and have lost sight of God's leading in our lives, maybe we've We've allowed our faith to slip and we forget what really matters. Uh, There's a whole lot of beautiful things that we're going to miss along the way. And just like this song says, I know you don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. So let's make the words of this chorus our collective prayer. Open up my eyes, Lord. Keep me in the moment just like this. Before the beautiful things we love become the beautiful things we miss.
3: We don't get to rewind. There's no such thing as next time. Help me remember, help me remember We don't get this back They were right when they said don't blink It all goes faster than you think Oh, help me remember, help me remember The beautiful things we miss things i miss
0: he's my dad and he gives great advice and that's why this last segment of today's show is called dad vice
3: he is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called dad vice
0: dad thanks for being here let's talk about an important word but one that is very hard for me to um well, to rest in, okay? The word is rest.
2: Yes. Lots to say about this uh, word. Our key verse, Matthew 11, 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. What a timely verse to all of us today. We're all tired and weary and those out there that are parents, those out there, whatever situation in life, you uh, most likely need rest. Let's look at the word weary. Feeling or showing tiredness, especially as a result of excessive exertion or lack of sleep. The word exhausted, drained of one's physical or mental resources. Very Tired. How many of us today again feel weary and exhausted? We probably all would raise our hands, especially in these last 18 months. I was listening to a live stream of a, a church, that, uh, of a pastor who pastors a mega church, and he got up before his congregation and says, I want to be honest with you this morning. I'm tired. And Matthew, on uh, Caleb last night, a teacher wrote in. She just finished her first day back to school, and she was exhausted. And today, what does Scripture say about rest? The word rest, to cease work, or movement, to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength— Three quick things. One, God invites us to rest in Him. Again, one of the greatest invitations ever given. Matthew 11:28. 28, put that in your heart. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I we'll give will you give rest. you rest. And then secondly, find rest in obeying his word. Matthew 11, 29, right after that wonderful promise in verse 28, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Taking on his yoke means that you are coming under the authority of God's teachings and following in his footsteps. When you read and obey his word, it will bring rest to your Soul, one of his teachings that will offer you rest, you need, is found in the fourth commandment, Exodus 28, honor the Lord's day and keep it holy. So God promises us rest, and when we obey his word, there is a supernatural Mm -hmm. rest and energy that comes to us. That's
0: good. Need some rest today? You know where to go. You know where to turn, and uh, the world is trying to... uh, wear us down and wear us out. There's no shortage of things around us right now that are just making us tired. I can relate to what that teacher said and shout out to all the teachers out there, right? You know, I just love that reminder. And we need to be reminded of the importance of rest. Sometimes we think rest, if anybody's wired like me, rest feels like laziness, Right. Yes. But there's something holy about resting and resting in God's presence and being still and knowing that He is God. Psalm 46:10. I quote that scripture all the time. Another translation says, "Cease striving." Right. Rest. Yes. Because what's the opposite of rest is restless. <laughs> yes. I don't know if that's the exact opposite, but yes. you know, yeah. I being restless is no way to live your life and. You can look around this world and feel so unsettled and feel restless and think, oh, I got to jump into action. And sometimes the best action is to rest. Right. It's good stuff, Dad, as always. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Seth. that's our show for
0: today. I want to thank my guest, author Jefferson Bethke, for uh, joining us today and for giving us some much needed insight and really a challenge. I took it as a challenge for a family man myself, for a dad to take back my family and make sure that we are uh, doing, you know, maybe changing the things that need to be changed and doing things a little bit differently and not being afraid to, to uh, stand against the uh, pressures to be Busy in all the wrong ways. And so be sure to check out his latest book, Take Back Your Family. We're going to post a link at the official podcast page, Matthew West slash podcast. Also, he's a great follow on Instagram, Jefferson Bethke. That's at Jefferson Bethke. So thanks to Jefferson for joining me. Really good stuff. Also want to thank my dad, as always, for joining me with advice It's always a great message of encouragement. If you need some more encouragement, please go to our ministry's website at popwe.org. That's P-O-P-W-E eorg org. You can sign up to receive a free weekly devotional sent straight to your email inbox. We call them Day One Devos. So in addition to this podcast, uh, just another touch point for us to stay connected with you and pointing you towards Jesus, All right. If you've got a prayer request, you can go to popwee.org slash prayer and submit a prayer request and we've got a network of thousands of people who will be lifting you up and joining you because we believe that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Those are not my words. Those are straight from Scripture. So, hey, make it a great week. Go make the most of the one life you get. You get one shot. All right. Don't waste it. No regrets. No what ifs. It's your story for his glory. You guys are the best and I'll see you next week.
3: (laughs) But seriously, I, I, I do.